Our scripture lesson this morning is from the 95th Psalm, the opening seven verses of Psalm 95. O come, let us sing to the Lord, let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and the dry land which his hands have formed. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When you hear the word worship, what image comes to your mind? Imagine that most of us think of a place, a place where we have experienced the presence of God in a real and powerful way that thrilled our hearts and led us to praise God. Maybe the image was in this place, on Christmas Eve with a lighted candle in your hand standing and singing joy to the world. Or maybe on an Easter Sunday morning with light streaming through the windows as we celebrate the risen Christ in our midst. Or maybe it was a time kneeling at this altar and you were deep in prayer and suddenly you felt the presence of God and you were thrilled to your core. Maybe it was in another place, a small church where you grew up, where you were surrounded by people who love you the most in life. And you felt that warmth of love and support, and your heart rang out in praise. Or maybe it was an outdoor setting where you looked out and saw the majesty and glory of God's creation in front of you, and that led you into praise. Two weeks ago, Wendy and I were in Arizona, and we decided to make a trip to the Grand Canyon I had never been. And I had it in my mind that I wanted to see the Grand Canyon at sunrise. And so we got up very early in the morning while it was still dark, and we went out to the south rim of the canyon, and we stood there waiting for the first light. There were other people around us, but what impressed me is how still and quiet everyone was. There was an attitude of expectation on everyone's face. And then the sun came up, 
and first light hit the western walls of the canyon, revealing the colors of rocks that are thousands of millions of years old. Wendy and I began to take a walk heading east towards the rising sun. We must have walked a mile or two. It was quiet and we took in the vistas. And then in the distance, we heard music, singing. Couldn't quite make out what it was, but as we walked, began to recognize the tune. And then we came upon them. It was a group of Koreans. They were on a bench facing uh, the northern part of the canyon, and they were singing in Korean, How Great Thou Art. Wendy and I softly joined in in English. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Worship. During these Lenten services, we are talking about fanning the fires of our faith to help them to grow into a flame. And I observed the very first week that we can't make each other grow. Growth comes from God. But we can create an atmosphere in which growth becomes possible. And the atmosphere that we've been creating, we talked the first week about when we affirm that Jesus Christ is Lord, that creates an atmosphere where we can grow in our relationship with Christ. Last week, we talked about when we take the Bible seriously, we are creating an atmosphere where we can deepen our faith and grow into Christ's likeness. And today, I want to talk about worship as a part of the atmosphere that helps us to grow in our relationship with Christ. The scripture lesson comes from uh, the 95th Psalm. Jamie has read for us the first seven verses. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Scholars tell us that Psalm 95 is most probably written as a call to worship for the people of Israel celebrating the Feast of the Tabernacles. The Feast of the Tabernacles was an event in which the people made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem and they spent the week worshiping in the temple. But the unique part of the Feast of Tabernacles is the people pitched tents in the city of Jerusalem and lived in those tents for seven nights. What they're doing is they're remembering. They're remembering their ancestors. They're remembering and they're reflecting upon their faith and they are reorienting their lives. I want to make two observations this morning. The first is a big part of worship is remembering. I have some Jewish friends 
who continue to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, only they call it today the Feast of Sukkot. And the interesting thing is that they pitch a tent in the backyard and they sleep out for seven nights during the Feast of Sukkot. They are remembering their ancestors. They're remembering those who left Egypt and were on their way wandering through the wilderness to the promised land and how they lived on that journey and how they were being formed by God during those 40 years. They're remembering other ancestors who made pilgrimage to Jerusalem and lived in the tents and they are remembering their faith. Part of our worship is remembering. When we come into this sanctuary, we are filled with reminders of our faith. When we come in with the procession, the first thing that I see when I walk into this sanctuary is the rose window. It reminds us of God's creation, the maker of heaven and earth. I then see the cross and the table. And I'm reminded of God's love for us in Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We remember his last supper where Jesus said to his disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. We remember that God's grace, which is prevenient, justifying, and sanctifying, is offered to us. And we see the font. Remembering our baptism. That we are included in the family of God. We are God's children. We gather in this place Sunday after Sunday and we remember who we are and whose we are. And I think that remembering is extremely helpful because the world tries to tell us a different narrative. They tell us that who you are is defined by your achievements or your failures at work. You are what you do. The world will tell you that you are judged on the successes of your children. In other words, you are the parents of your children. That's how you're judged, how your children act. You are judged by your reputation, what people think of you and how they label you. Or most harshly, you're broken and you cannot be fixed. We need to come into this place because that's the world's view of us, but God has a different view. Worship reminds us who we are. We are the children of God. We are chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people. We remember that. I think that it's easy to forget that sometimes. I think that in the world we get caught up in living our lives and we forget. I may have told you the story years ago, but when 
I go on vacation, there's an Episcopal church right around the corner that I tend to go to on Sundays. And one Sunday I heard the priest tell a story I don't think I'll ever forget. It was about someone in World War II who had been trained for a particular mission. He was going to be dropped behind enemy lines. He was going to do reconnaissance, preparing for the invasion of the Allied forces. And he was going to get word back so that when the invasion took place, they knew the lay of the land. Well, he was trained and he was equipped for this mission. They flew him back over enemy lines. It was the dark of night and he prepared to parachute out of his plane when he bumped his head on the way out. He lost consciousness for a few moments. The parachute deployed and delivered him safely to the ground. He was in the right place at the right time to fulfill his mission. And no ill effects for the bump on his head except one thing, amnesia. He forgot why he was there. He'd forgotten his mission. He forgot who he was and why he was there. And then the priest pulled back and he said, when we walk out of worship on Sunday morning, do we bump our heads and forget who we are out in the world? I think sometimes we do forget. We forget who we are, we forget whose we are. And it's helpful to come in here on a Sunday morning and be reminded in worship. That's the first observation. The second is that worship reorients our lives. It helps us to press the reset button in our lives, make a new beginning. Our Jewish friends that are camping out in the backyard during Sukkot, they are remembering their faith They're remembering their ancestors, but they're also resetting their lives. They're pressing a reset button every year, and they are bringing their lives into harmony with their faith. It's what we do during this Lenten season. We let go of some things so that we can embrace other things, so that we can draw closer to our Lord so that we can grow in our faith. We let go and we draw closer to God in special worship services, in prayer times, in study time. And we worship God seeking his presence. A reset. It's easy to get off track in relationships. There have been people who come to see me and they've gotten off track in their relationship. And I sit there and say, tell me what's going on. And one starts and says, work is more important than I am. The other one counters, the children are more important than I am. The other one says, friends are more important than I am. The other one says, football's more important than I am. The other one says, shopping's more important than I am. The other one says, deer hunting is more, and you know where it's going. And I sort of shut it down and say, okay, I get the point. In other words, you stood in front of each other and you said to each other, you're the most important person in my life. And now I feel like someone or something else is more important than I am. I hear that. And most of the time, I point them to coaching. 
pastoral counseling. Someone who can help them get their relationship back on track to communicate with one another. And I tend to also recommend to them a date night. A date night is a night during the week, and it doesn't matter if it's a weeknight or a weekend night. It's a night in the week that nobody else gets but the other person. On that night, I'm not going to work late. On that night, we're going to get a babysitter for the children. On that night, the friends aren't going with us. On that night, I'm not watching the football game. That night is yours. And what happens on that date night, it is a pressing of the reset button every week, reminding the other person, you are the most important person in my life. And we begin to live that. And the relationship gets back on track. That works in our relationships with one another. And it also works in our relationship with God. Worship puts us back on track in our relationship with Christ. John Wesley, the father of Methodism, spent most of his life, as you know, in England. But there was a time when he and his brother Charles left Oxford University and came here to America with James Oglethorpe to help establish the colony of Georgia. They set sail for Georgia in December of 1734. December is not a good time to take a cruise across the Atlantic. That's when the winter storms take place. Today and in Wesley's day. And as they made the journey across the Atlantic, winter storm after winter storm after winter storm hit them. Wesley was a very disciplined person, John Wesley. He would wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning to pray, to read the scriptures. He fasted twice a week. He devoted himself to good works for other people. Uh, He was a kind and considerate person. He considered himself a dynamic Christian. But these storms shook him to his core. In short, he was afraid of dying. One day, the storms got so bad that the ship was rocking. It felt like to Wesley he was, it was coming apart. Incidentally, John Wesley kept a journal. And that's how we know so much about this cruise across the Atlantic. He wrote every detail down. On January the 24th, a Saturday, the storm was rocking the ship, and everyone downstairs was afraid. Water was seeping from the top deck down. And Wesley decided he was going to go up top deck and see what it looked like, what the storm was like. Big mistake. He got up on top deck, and just as he set both feet on the deck, a wave crashed over the bow, knocking him off his feet and sweeping him towards the side of the boat and over into the ocean. Wesley felt himself underwater at that point and thought to himself, my life is over. He was able to catch himself, however, scamper to his feet and get back down underneath. Everyone was afraid, Wesley included. 
except a group of German Moravians who were on board, about 25 or 26 of them. And Wesley noticed at the height of the storm, they were praying and singing praises to God. The next day, Sunday, January the 25th, he decided to go and worship with these German Moravians. He wanted to see if there was anything different about their worship. They sang hymns. A storm hit. The only acknowledgement they made to the storm is they spread their feet to get a stable balance and they reached out and held hands with each other, but they didn't miss a beat in singing the hymns. Wesley was amazed by this, and afterwards he asked the leader of the group, were you not afraid of dying? And the answer came back, no. If we live, we live for Christ. If we die, we go to be with Christ. Either way, we belong to Christ. And Wesley realized, that's what's missing in my life. Two years later, he found himself on Aldersgate Street in England, in London, at a German Moravian prayer meeting where scripture was read, prayers were prayed, and hymns were sung. And it is on that occasion that he felt his heart strangely warmed. He felt he did trust in Christ, Christ alone for his salvation, and an assurance was given him that Christ had saved him, yes, even him. Wesley learned something about worship. He learned that when you worship God and live in the light, you can sing in the rain. He also learned that the way to get through a storm is by singing praises to God. Remember who you are and whose you are and reorient your life. So, what I want for you is for Sunday morning to be the highlight of your week. I want your children to wake you up on Sunday morning and say, is it Sunday yet? Do we get to go to church yet? It may not be that way right now. It wasn't that way when my children were growing up. But I want that. I want people to know what worship can do for us, how we come into God's presence and we experience in a powerful way. And once you've experienced it, you want it to happen again and again. You want to experience it, and it keeps bringing you back to worship. And you remember, and you reset. I think that for it to happen, we have to come into this place with an expectation that we're going to meet God when we get here. I think that when we come into this place, we need to fully participate in the service, to sing the hymns, to pray the prayers, to read the scripture, to... Uh, be engaged because once we're engaged I believe that God shows up our eyes are open we see the presence of God and once you recognize the presence of God in this place you can recognize the presence of God out there and fulfill your mission so that's what I wish for us I wish for us to be able to come together every Sunday 
and sense the presence of God in a real and powerful way and to have our lives transformed. And then when we leave this place, we don't bump our heads. We remember, we reorient, and we live the abundant life. And that life is one that fills us up and makes us whole. Fill my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. Come and quench this thirsting of my soul. Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Fill my cup, fill it up and make me whole. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.